All right. Well, good afternoon, everybody. Thanks for uh, thanks for coming. I know that uh, this week has been a little up and down, and and uh, a lot of folks are in and out and bumping elbows and kicking feet. So, uh, thanks for thanks for showing up. Um, pretty excited to be here and and talk with you. My name is Mitch Hayes. I am the uh, vice president of e-commerce and retail for Swiss Log Americas. Um, and I'm here to talk, our topic, right, we've, we've labeled it as the dream team. Uh, and it effectively is combining item picking robotics with auto store. Um, and because I'm a little bit of, of a geek about basketball, when I saw the dream team, I talked to our marketing department, I says, this has to be about the 1992 US men's basketball team, right, for the Olympics. And they were like, no, what are you talking about? But I couldn't go without throwing a trivia question out. And I've got a basketball for the person that can first answer. Someone may know, if not, first person to come up afterwards, right? So uh, when the 1992 Olympic men's basketball team for the US was put together, there was one player that was not under NBA contract. He was still in college. Does anybody know who that player was? Okay, so we'll move on. And the, the, the first person at the end that can Google that really quickly can try to figure out how to pack a basketball on your flight home. <laughs> All right, so agenda for today, I, I want to go through the challenges and the trends uh, to kind of frame it up, right? What are, we, what are we talking about here and why are we talking about item picking um, and, and then auto store. I'll go through auto store a little bit. Uh, dense cube-based storage and retrieval system, for those of you who may not be familiar. Uh, also talk through robotic picking a little bit, more at an industry level. There's a lot of great things going on in the industry right now. And then tie it a little bit back to then SwissLog and, and what we're doing in item picking and partnering really with AutoStore on the other side. So as we think about the challenges and the trends, these are things that we probably all know and, and we feel every day. Uh, there's rising energy costs. Um, you know, we have uh, sustainability that we're looking at. We're looking at how we can reduce our carbon footprint, right? There's a lot going on even this week in the energy market. Um, the, the real estate is, is getting more expensive, especially when we talk about micro-fulfillment and urban distribution. So now we're taking these uh, giant fulfillment centers and we're trying to get them in the localized city areas, right? Where real estate is generally very expensive. And then labor. Labor is something that we're always talking about in distribution and fulfillment. And there's a couple different things that we talk about. We talk about generally the cost of labor. Uh, you talk about the availability of labor, the shortage of labor. Um, both of those can be a challenge. I think when we talk about a labor shortage, that could be your neighbors. A lot of fulfillment and distribution centers are located in areas where there's a lot of different companies trying to do the same. And uh, humans are a finite resource, right? So sometimes it's hard to find enough of them for your operation. Uh, another challenge, right, we have the work environment. And I can only imagine in Atlanta in July and August uh, what the temperature inside a distribution and fulfillment center is. Uh, it's probably quite, quite warm. Um, we have ergonomic challenges. I am 6'4". Megan here is 5'1". And, and we're going to have different 
ergonomical challenges, right, in performing some of this work. Uh, and then lastly, we've got a regulatory environment, and the biggest one that comes to mind is the safety aspect. And it's important when we're talking about robotics, but even in a manual environment, uh, lifting and, and things of that nature, uh, we've got things to consider there, and those are all kind of constraints or challenges that we have. On the trend side, I think everyone knows the, the biggest growing markets, if you will, but, but we're growing in several different areas, and, and some of that's policy-related, and that ebbs and flows, and, and others are, are certainly here to stay. Uh, the consumer is becoming more demanding, right? We all know that. I mean, I, I just, um, just last week, I, I got onto a very popular e-commerce site, and I ordered something in the morning, and it sent me an email notification. Hey, we, we got this, and you'll have it tomorrow. And like two hours later, I got another one, and I thought, well, I didn't order anything, but my wife did, same account. And then actually later on that evening, my son did as well. So we did three separate orders of quantity of one that came in three separate boxes the next day. I'm sure that's a story that everyone here can, can kind of resonate with, right? Uh, but that, that drives challenges, and, and we want it now, right? Um, I just did our regional sales conference down in Charlotte, and I wanted to have this uh, iPad on a tripod that could film the presentations that our teams were doing. And I forgot it at home. And so I get to Charlotte, and I'm looking, and I'm like, I've got to be able to get one on Prime now, or go pick one up. And I couldn't find one. There wasn't one in Charlotte that I could have. I could have a bunch of them tomorrow, but I couldn't have them today. And that frustrated me, right? And I think we've been conditioned to say, hey, we should be able to get everything now. Um, you know, I think on, on the quality standpoint, a trend that I'm really seeing is a lot of our clients are taking their packaging a lot more serious. Before, you could slap it in a box or an envelope and kick it out the door. Now there's a lot of branding on the outside of the boxes, and they want pack slips hand-signed, and they want the presentation. I mean, my, uh, my daughter is seven. She watches, like, unboxing of things, like children's toys. And I'm like, why are you watching this? But if you look, that's a thing on YouTube. People will sit there and watch someone open a box and show you the pretty tissue paper. And so the consumer is expecting those things now, right? Um, and that leads to this, this last area, which, which I kind of refer to as mass customization. And uh, you know, if, if the majority of us in here want something in blue, there's two people that are like, ah, I want it in purple. You know, so, so we're, we're all chasing that. How do you have every color and available now in a unique package or something to make yourself different, right? And then in addition, how do you, how do you handle all of these SKUs that could be a massive amount and handle these massive peaks, like when a virus breaks out, right? Right now, e-commerce is booming. We just heard from one of our clients the other day that this is their biggest peak that they've seen in three years. And they are, they are more traditionally in line with a normal retail retailer. But right now, it's the biggest peak that they've seen. Right? So how do, we, how do we handle that? What do we need to do to, to be prepped and prepared for that? So the first part that I want to talk about is auto store. Uh, there are four key elements or benefits that we're looking for when we're, we're designing an auto store and we're determining if it's a best fit for our client. 
Uh, density is, is the first one. It's a highly dense product, right? Whenever you say uh, cube storage, that just lends itself to, to a highly dense product. Uh, scalability, so you want the, I, I commonly will talk about the cone of uncertainty. And to me, that means if there's a hurricane that's coming towards the US, everyone knows where it's gonna hit tomorrow. And the cone is very tight. But if you look out eight days, it could hit Iowa or Manhattan, right? And that's kind of how e-com, retail, and some of these environments are right now. Everyone has a really good idea on what we're gonna do tomorrow. But what we don't know is what the next six months, the next year looks like. AutoStore gives us the ability to start small and grow, um, do some different things there that we're gonna talk about. Uh, that goes right along with the flexibility aspect as well, except AutoStore has a unique ability to fit into existing buildings a lot better than existing automation. So I commonly think of all those empty Sears stores that are in those urban environments that no one's using, be a great place to put an auto store. And then the last, the energy efficient piece as well. Uh, and they put it on here and they show a graphic that says it again, but 10 robots take the same amount of energy as a toaster. My wife uses a toaster every morning to make waffles for our kids. So I know about that energy consumption. Okay, so if we get back to the dense aspect, we look at that AutoStore gives us a 40 to 60% reduction in space. So if we look at a pure manual all the way on the left, and then we look at in the middle, traditional ASRS, I would say that we're depicting here more of like a mini load solution. And then we look at AutoStore in the same footprint. It's a massive pickup. Another thing that you look at with AutoStore that I'll commonly hear is, but you don't use all 35, 40 feet of my ceiling height. Well, we don't need to, right? An auto store is gonna to top out somewhere around 18 to 20 feet, and I'll commonly hear, well, a shuttle goes all the way to the ceiling, and I'll say, that's great. We still use less footprint. And I think that's what we're really driving to, right? Uh, don't care about the space above if we can get the density that we're really looking for. So then we talk about the scalability aspect. And an auto store will commonly tell you they have five modules to their system. And you can play with those five modules however you want. So we have the aluminum grid, and we have the bots, and we have the ports. We have the controller, and I always forget the fifth, but it's the bins. It's the storage bins on the inside. And any combination of those five, you can do. And you can expand to those as well. And that makes it a unique solution in terms of if you need more throughput, you can put some more bots in or some more ports. If you need more capacity, it's more grid and it's more bins. So if we think about the scalability aspect and we say, well, I'm gonna start small because the hurricane's here, but then we need to get to here and we can grow as we go. And what's unique about AutoStore as well as a pair compared to some traditional automation solutions is, you could typically stay functional while the upgrade is occurring. And a lot of this goes into the initial design, but if the initial design is built for a solution that's gonna grow, things like the battery chargers can be placed on a wall where you're not gonna grow, like an exterior wall. And then that allows you to very easily grow the auto store grid out as you need to, add ports, do whatever you need to do. 
talked about the ability for it to go into existing buildings. There's all kinds of cool graphics that AutoStore actually provides that shows different building shapes and sizes where, where their product can go into. And it's actually quite true. And, and um, it's, it's cool to go into an existing building where maybe they've been fighting challenges around electrical panels and all these different things and watch them build an auto store around something like that. And then last but not least, 10, to or 10 robots, one toaster. This is something that's becoming more and more popular uh, and talked about more and more uh, as, as we try and consume less energy. The last part with, with AutoStore that, that's very critical is the software aspect as well. And there's an integrator network of folks that, that can build an AutoStore out there. And you want to make sure that you've got all of your core elements that should come standard with the AutoStore. Uh, being able to do the inbound, the storage, uh, the order planning, your picking, your consolidation, and your shipping. Those are just core functions, right? An auto store, 98% of the time, are going to come standard with all of that software right out of the box. Okay, so now I want to flip to robotic picking. It's going to start with a little video here of Swiss Logs robot, which we call item pick. Depending on the product, the gripper will know which technique to use. So there's four different types that it can use to pick up a product. Also, and we'll talk a little bit about this, but there's no teaching. On 99% on of the robots that are out there in the market, there's no teaching or, or learning process that it needs to go through. It uses vision, may use some other characteristics as well to identify the product you're asking it to get. And then as it goes along and it tries to pick it a certain way and maybe it's not successful, then it learns. It says, don't try that again. good view of an auto store. So it's a high level overview of what we're doing with our robotic picking attached to auto store. Uh, but even with, with item pick or with, again, 99% of the item picking robots on the market, it comes down to four, four elements. So we want to be fast, right? We want, we, want, we want to be as fast as we can because that's going to drive the business case and the ROI. Um, we want it to handle a broad range of products. It doesn't do us any good if that one shampoo bottle is the only thing that it can pick. And we say, well, You've got hundreds of thousands of SKUs, but any time that you have a shampoo bottle, we'll get it for you. Doesn't make sense. There is no teaching process, so as new SKUs get entered, the robot just starts trying. And as it tries, it learns. Uh, and that, that's, that's very key. And then the last is reliability. So there's two elements to reliability for me. The first is the actual equipment, if you will, or the arm. Um, and robotics have been around for decades, right? So I don't think that's really the challenge that we're talking about. But how reliable is the actual pick 
process. How many times is a human having to do an air recovery? Are we having to do a manual intervention? Or it failed and we need to send it to a human to complete the pick, right? That's the reliability that I think I'm more focused on based on robotics being a, a pretty proven technology in, in the arm itself and grippers and things of that nature. So performance, there's really three elements that go into the performance. Is the product pickable? Is it a, is it a product that's in my, my grippers range to pick? Um, and is there a simple process? I'm going from uh, a, a skew bin to an order bin. So I'm picking from here or putting to here. That's a very simple process, right? And in order to get speed, you need those two things to be in line with each other, a simple process and an easy skew to pick. The last is how you're feeding it. So if you have skew bins that you're bringing to the robot, and then you have a bin that's, that's taking it away, you need to be able to get those things into place in relatively short order and keep up with how fast the robot can actually go. And if we think about the 1,000 picks, that's 3.6 seconds, you've got to be able to transfer out a bin and transfer one in on both sides of that robot. And I can tell you that typically that's probably going to be the constraint, not the robot arm itself. So here's the, the skew range, or a sample skew range, if you will. So my daughter focused in right there in the middle. She said, I want that Barbie and those Skittles and that Hello Kitty thing, whatever it is. And I said, well, that's toothpaste. And she said, yeah, like I said, whatever that is. So um, this gives a good representation of what we're handling now. And generally, I think what the industry is handling. There's some variability based on manufacturers. Some are handling a lot more and even weight a lot more, and some can go very small. So we'll commonly talk to at Swiss Log uh, a sugar packet all the way up to 3.3 pounds. Cylindrical isn't a problem. Certain attributes are not a problem. Um, some can be troublesome. When we look at the ROI, uh, we, we kind of talked with some of our consulting partners around the US, and we came up with an average headcount cost of 44K. Uh, per person. If you look at that as two shifts, your 88K, and a typical CapEx model would tell you that you're two to three years for an ROI, and that varies amongst manufacturer. There's another model that's out there that's very intriguing to me, and that's you probably heard a lot of companies are moving towards robots as, as a service. So you're a pay, pay per pick, effectively. And there's two elements to that that really intrigue me that I think uh, th they're on to something and will become an, an even bigger trend. The first is there's no CapEx process. It becomes OpEx. So if I'm paying per pick, I can almost get a monthly bill, just like I would for labor, and I can move that into an OpEx budget instead of going through the big CapEx budget and, and trying to justify it and these ROIs and all these different things. The more important part for me um, that I really appreciate about that model is the company that's providing that robotic picking solution, they're taking ownership for it to work. Because the only way that they get paid is if it works. If it's a pay per pick and it's dropping things and it's not picking them, they're not getting paid. So they're saying, you know what? We'll take the ownership to make it pick. So you don't have to worry about that anymore. And I think that's a beautiful thing that the robots as a service is driving. Uptime, reliability, reliability of the pick. The, the manufacturer is taking that on themselves, and they're saying, no, no, we have to provide you a solution that works. 
Um, so I think that's beautiful. So if we look at the overall uh, advantages of the robotic picking one last time. So it'll run 24-7. Uh, there, there's definitely cost efficiencies there. The quality of the pick, robot doesn't get tired, doesn't need a break, isn't having a grumpy day. It just picks the exact same. So the repeatability is where you get the quality. Uh, the flexibility, you can kind of say the same thing. It doesn't need a lunch break. Um, I saw some goofy thing out on LinkedIn, but there is no robot union yet. So there aren't all these typical labor constraints that you may have. And then typically, all of these systems are coming easy to use. Every company that's developing this wants to make it as plug and play as possible. So then I'll move just a touch to what we're focused on at SwissLog with our item picking. And again, we want to look at a, a wide range of products and have a wide range of products. We want to increase this self-learning aspect. Um, there, there's, there's a company out on the market right now that uh, is doing robotic picking. And um, I'm very intrigued that they have the ability to, if a robot pick fails, that it can send a help signal. Someone can dial in and right then and there go, oh, Mr. Robot, try this way. And it says, thank you. And when it's successful, it tells all its robot buddies that this is the way you need to do this next time. And then the human goes back to playing Xbox and waiting for the next help call to come in, right? So it could be remote or on site. I think that's beautiful. And we have to increase that machine learning. And the way that we're going to increase the machine learning is getting more of these robots out in picking. Right? The more uh, permutations that it sees, the smarter it becomes. And there's a part of that that's kind of freaky, right? If you think about Skynet and some of the crazy things that could happen with, with robots, but we'll, we'll cross that bridge when we get there. Uh, we want to make the software integration very seamless. Right? Air recovery, manual picking, how it's going to operate, as seamless as we can. That's how you make it easy to use. So that's where we're focused. So this is uh, a good example of the item pick with an auto store. A lot of what you're seeing over top would be the vision systems that we're looking for. Uh, the camera arrays can, can vary greatly on how many you have. What you're trying to do in terms of confirmation of pick, things of that nature. I heard, um, I heard one time our development team say, ah, with this one product, we're having problems with it picking up two at one time. And I said, can you tell it's picking up two at one time? And they said, yes. And I said, don't stop that. That's like double the throughput that you can get. So, but if you know that you're picking two at a time, that's a great thing. If I need to pick 10 into the bin and I pick two on the first time, I only need to go back eight more times instead of nine. So then we start talking about connecting it to AutoStore, back to the dream team, which I'll pause. Did anybody get the answer? Christian Leitner. Very good. Does everybody remember Christian Leitner? Basketball fans? No basketball fans? All right. I'm glad I got to give the basketball away, though. Oh, perfect. There you go. You're welcome. So when we attach auto store and item picking, we give it the ability to segment inventory right away and say, this part of my SKUs is great for robotic picking. This part of my SKUs 
still needs to be picked by a human. An auto store has the ability to say, great, just tell me which place you want us to go, and that's where we'll take it. You also have the ability, built-in air recovery right away. So if we take the SKUs to the robotic picking station, and the robot comes back and says, I couldn't get this one. No problem, we'll send it to the human as a backup plan. And I think that's critical right now, that you have air recovery and you have a manual process that's really seamless. And AutoStore gives us that ability. So if we look at an example, uh, the number one that you see on the left is our robotic picking station. And then we have what we're calling a manual port on the right. So the gray bins uh, that you can see at the port, those are SKU bins. So we're storing all the inventory there. And then the green bin, we're calling an order, an order bin. So in this scenario, we have the ability to bring it to robotic picking station, perform the picks, send it back in, store it as long as we need it, and then send the order toad out to the manual station for either packing, consolidation with manual, uh, picked items, whatever it may be. Here's a little bit of a more of a close-up. So we have, again, the green is the order bin, the SKU bin on the right. Pick the SKUs, put them in the order bin, send it back into the system, and then when we're ready for it, send it out to our manual consolidation area. Again, your software will guide everything at the manual port. So as it comes, it's going to say, hey, you should already have 12 items in here, and we're going to send you one more, and then your order is going to be complete. You can pack that out. Right? So the software is critical to be able to guide you through these steps. When we talk about air handling, again, on the market, everyone, the systems that we have, you can detect uh, when you have an error. When you can't pick, something gets dropped, whatever it may be. We have the ability to detect it, and then you have the ability to report on it as well, which I think is kind of good, because if, if you have a lot of Right, you're, the, the goal here is to eliminate the, the person potentially at that station, or maybe it's a throughput gain. There's a lot of different ways that you could look at that. But you need the ability to, to handle the errors. And if you're handling errors all the time, your WMS should be able to give you a report that says, what's my reliability of, of each SKU? And when something maybe drops below 95%, you either want to investigate with the company, or you maybe want to flag that for manual picking just all the time, right? Uh, your software should be able to do that for you. And as you go along, you'll get more and more information, and you'll be able to, uh, to distinguish the two better. So a couple other use cases as we talk through, right, all around this same kind of example. Uh, pick to store with a tote is a great example here. Right, as I send the completed robotic picked items out to the manual, it's just a dump from one into your outbound tote. Again, we can send out to, to the packing. So the final order goes out to be packed out. Pretty simple. And then the last one, you have the ability with either a human or a robot to put that outbound container in the green bin to begin with. And then when it's served to the robot, the robot's actually picking to the outbound carton. And at that point in time, you get some different automation options on how to handle that when the order's complete. So just walking through the flow again, um, with, with number one here, so item pick, we'll pick the items automatically uh, to empty and to an empty 
order bin uh, with the shipping carton inside. So we've already got the cardboard inside. We send that back in, we hold it. Maybe it's not in its SLA, maybe you have other things that is taking up the pack station at that point in time, you're not ready for it. Say, okay, now at number two, we're ready, so we serve that down to the manual station, and at that point, we've got two different things. Either it's complete, and it's ready to be packed out, or it needs to wait. We've got some manual items coming, we're gonna put the manual items in, and then it's ready to be packed out. The last aspect is whether you do it at the manual station or whether you potentially have a robotic solution, you can put a new carton in. Send it back in the auto store so it's already ready to go to the robotic picking station and get the next picks put in. So when we look at, there's actually, we, we list two here. There's actually three different styles of port with, uh, with auto store. If you go back, this is what we call the conveyor port. So it's kind of a one in, one out type of methodology, if you will. The port we're showing here is a carousel port. And it effectively, the easiest way uh, for me to understand it is think of like a revolver. So there will be several bins that can come down, get into a queue, and then it's circulating around. So as you're picking, another one could be going up and down. So you're kind of working in parallel. So the conveyor port, 200, 220 bin presentations. And if you remember earlier, I talked about one of the constraints of speed being how quickly you can serve product, be it the outbound carton or the SKUs, um, how fastly can you, can you get those to the robot? With the carousel port, we get up to 350, 400. There's actually uh, a, a newly released within the last year relay port that gets that all the way up to like 650. So very, very high speed. So you start to take that constraint away on the auto store side. With the carousel port and the relay port, the ports are bigger. So as you saw with the conveyor port, I'm going side to side. Right here we're showing two carousel ports back to back in a tunnel, and the robot's going 180 degrees. What we've determined is even though that the robot movement is longer, remember as I mentioned, the robot arm is never gonna be your constraint on the speed side, we see that this type will still give you a pickup, and even more so with the relay port. So, that's what I have uh, on the Dream Team. We have some time left, plenty of time left, if anybody has any questions. Sure. So the question is really around replenishment. How are you replenishing into Auto Store? So the same ports that you saw uh, for picking are the exact same ports that are on the back side or the side or whichever side you choose for replenishment. Um, so the software will guide the replenishment operation and you're being served bins to load your, your inventory in. What you see typically with, with auto store, a well-designed auto store, is your A movers are never in auto store. Doesn't make any sense to put things in just to serve them back out very, very quickly. So you're typically more of like a BC range in term of, terms of your movers that are stored in auto store. Another unique aspect about auto store is if you think about it, it's self-slotting. So bins are stacked 16 high, and your fastest movers in the auto store, maybe not in the facility, they're always gonna stay on top 
because they're, they're going to the pick stations more often than a really slow mover that will naturally drift to the bottom. And that's really where you want it, right? You don't want it up top because you only get it once a week. Does that answer your question? Any other questions? Okay, very good. Well, thank you very much for your time. Enjoy the rest of the afternoon and the rest of the show. Thanks.